Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from the book of Esther and how it's a record of decisions that Mordecai and Esther made and how the Bible commends the good decisions that they did make. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and iTunes. We're coming to the close of the year end, and we'd like to encourage you to make a contribution to this radio program. 100% of it will continue to keep this teaching program on the air in your city on this station. We'll also match the donation of what you give, 100% of it, towards Israel Restoration Ministries and our Jewish evangelism outreach that reaches over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year, as well as many Gentiles with the gospel. And we'd like to encourage you to give your donation because it's 100% tax deductible, and 100% of it goes towards Jewish evangelism and keeping this radio program on the air. None of it goes to administration costs. To donate, go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us now or after the program at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for your listenership and support. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching from the book of Esther. And there was a day when the king commanded, bring the book. And when they said, open up the book, and there'll be a day, like we've been reading about here, when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, bring the book of life, open it up, and read it, all the decisions. So, when you look at it that way, it's all about decisions, all about decisions. Then the Bible becomes interestingly in a new light, because we can take those two words, and we can just decide it and chose, and start plugging them in different places. John 3.16, for God decided to so love the world that he chose to give his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me show you. Just got a new Bible. You know, like my Bible. Keep this book here. My Bible. My Bible is the NLV. It's the new logical version. It's a very nice cover, as you can see. Here it is. And my Bible, this is my Bible, my new Bible right here. It's a new logical Bible. And it says, so I read, open my Bible. Here we go. I'll just summarize what my Bible says. Okay. It says here, God created everything beautiful in six days. Okay. God made man. Next page. God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Man ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God judged man, sent man to hell for eternity. Because man was warned and man disobeyed God. That's it. That's logical, right? That's why we call it the NLV. New logical version. See? Only has two pages. That's it. Now, that's not the Bible, is it? No. That's the rest of it. So you say, uh, what's the difference between this Bible and this Bible? It's a decision that God made. The decision is in chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? You know what this is? This is God saying, Where art thou? You know what this first part is? This is God doing everything wonderful, man disobeying, and man bringing in death. That's not the end of the story. Because God decided. He decided. God, the Lord, and that's what you can say in, in Genesis 3, 9. And the Lord God decided to call unto Adam. See? And God decided to say unto him, Where art thou? And because God decided to call, because God decided to say, where are you? We have 1,500 more pages in our Bible. Because that's God calling out to man. That's what the gospel is. That God came from heaven and he's calling. Where are you? Where are you? 
Let me lead you to repentance. Let me save you from your sins. Receive my blood as the sacrifice for sin. Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's what the 1,500 pages are all about. Why? Because it was God who decided to go into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. And we worship God because of what he decided. That's why we worship him. Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. They didn't plug those words in too. He decided and didn't have to. But he did. See? And that brings it. God rewards the lost with salvation if the lost decide to receive God's gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, when they don't have to. And what did Mordecai do? What did Mordecai do that was recorded in these chronicles? Mordecai came to know of a secret plot to murder Ahasuerus. And Mordecai was a man of life. Mordecai valued life. When he saw the little life, Hadassah, he said, I will take care of that life. And Mordecai abhorred the unnecessary death of Ahasuerus. So when Mordecai found out that information, that Ahasuerus would be killed, he knew that if he did nothing, Ahasuerus would die. And Mordecai viewed that information. How did he get that information? You know, it says that he sat in the gate there, the king's gate. So Mordecai, he's probably just sitting there one day, and maybe these people are coming by. He says, hey, you know what, we're going to kill the king. All of a sudden, you know, his ears grow. And he starts picking up on the vibes and everything. He's listening closer and closer. And, and the next day they come around, and he sort of like sides up close to them, so he gets, puts the whole thing together, and he realizes, oh, no, they've got a plot to murder the king. Why do they want to murder the king? Who knows? Maybe they were paid by Vashti, who, who probably wanted to see the king murdered. We don't know. But what we know is that probably, very likely, because of his position in the king's gate, he got wind of that there was going to be this. That was information that came to him. And, and so he says to himself, well, you know, where did that information come from? Did it come to those, those two people? No, that information came from God. And Mordecai saw, I've been entrusted with this information. That information is a responsibility to me. It's I've just learned of a plot to kill the king, and that was given to me by God, that information. That's a very serious responsibility. Remember Mordecai? Always going for the opportunities. Always looking for, always available for God. And so he says, God has given me that information. I'm going to be available for God. Mordecai knew that God was a God of life. He was the God of life. That's what God is. Jewish people wear chai around their neck. means life. is God. Why? Because the Spirit of God breathed into man. We see this in Genesis. This is the breath of life. God's life. God's all about life. God's pro-life. And so, he's a God of life, and God wanted Mordecai to save the life, save the life, Mordecai, of Ahasuerus. And God, when God did this, Mordecai realized, I want to please God. I'd like to look forward to the day, Mordecai would say, when I can go and give a report to God and say, you remember that information that you gave me back there when I was sitting in the king's gate about those two men that were going to kill them? You know what I did? I was responsible with it, and I stopped it, and I saved the life of Hashuerus. And God would say, good job, Mordecai. I knew I could count on you. I knew if I let that information be to you, you'd save a life. And Mordecai, let's not also not forget Mordecai put himself at great risk. This was not exactly a non-risky affair for Mordecai. It's a little serious when you say that these people want to kill the king. 
And so if, for example, if they denied it and they did the investigation and it was found that it wasn't true, Mordecai could have been killed over it for making the accusation. But Mordecai took the risk. A danger to himself, he took the risk. And he put himself in a mortal risk because he knew that to save the life of Ahasuerus was worth the risk. Let me repeat that. To save the life of Ahasuerus for Mordecai was worth the risk. Worth the risk, see? And Mordecai gave it all he had. He really did. He went to Esther and said, you know, please tell the king, certify it mine. He gave it all he had, even though he put himself at risk to save the life of Ahasuerus. And he did that so that Mordecai would not walk away. He would not walk away from risking his own life to save the life of Ahasuerus. And he found himself in a position where he had to reject logical arguments. Mordecai had to say no to the argument of, why should I get involved? Why don't I just mind my own business? You know, mind your own business, Mordecai. If they want to kill the king, that's their business. He had to say no to that argument of just don't get involved and mind your own business. He had to say no to the argument of, well, someone else will save the king. Someone else will save the king. You're probably not the only one who knows this information anyways. And so who do you think you are, the savior of the world? Why don't you just let be what will be? He had to say no to that. He had to say no to the argument of, you know, whatever will happen has already been decided. If the king dies, that was predestined for the king. He's supposed to die. If the king's going to die, it's predetermined. I can't change what God in his sovereignty has predestined. Here, who do I think I am? He had to say no to that. Mordecai said to himself, no, it's me. He said, I've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Sound familiar? That's the very words that Mordecai said to Esther. But he realized in this instance that this was the spotlight was on him now. That this was the time when he was brought into the kingdom. I have the knowledge, therefore I cannot sit still and do nothing. Because Mordecai said, Mordecai said, God's a God of life, so I'm a man of life. And I can't sit still and watch another person be killed. Because Mordecai put his own life at risk and did that, Ahasuerus was saved from this plot to kill him. Now, just as Mordecai came to know of a secret plot to murder, you and I have come to know of a secret plot of Satan to kill, destroy, and torment forever lost sinners who are outside of Christ and who go to hell. We know that. Does everybody know that in the world? No. That secret information, like Mordecai had secret information, that secret information that you and I have about a plot, a terrible plot. What's the world think? Satan? Oh, he's just some comical character with a long red tail, and he's on red devil candy or something like that. And that's who Satan is. You know, don't take him seriously. We know that's not true. We know that's not true at all. Just as Mordecai was a man of life, and he valued life, and abhorred unnecessary death, you and I are people of life. Just the thought, people going to hell unnecessarily, abhors us. It abhors us, like with Mordecai. And just like Mordecai know, he knew that if he did nothing with the information he had, Ahasuerus would die. You and I know. It's one thing for sure. If we don't do anything with the gospel, then it's very likely lost sinners are going to die and go to hell. And just as Mordecai knew that God was a God of life, and he wanted Mordecai to save life, and he was going to hold Mordecai responsible for what he did with this life-saving knowledge, 
he enabled them to have. See, God enabled Mordecai to have that. You and I also know very clearly that the Lord Jesus Christ is the God of life. You and I know that he wants us to save lives through the gospel. That he's going to hold us responsible for this life-saving gospel information. That we know the gospel, according to Romans 1.16, is the power of God unto salvation. And God, just like he entrusted it to Mordecai, God has entrusted to us this information so we can preach it to dead sinners on their way to hell to stop that. Just as Mordecai wanted to please God and look forward to the day when he would report to God, hey, I saved a life. So you and I want to please God too. We would love to be able to sit down with God and say, I saved this life and I saved that life from hell through the gospel. And just as Mordecai knew it was risky for him to stand up and speak the truth, he took the risk. You and I know it's risky to stand up for Jesus, for the Lord Jesus Christ. You could lose your job. You could lose your life in some places. And if you start saying what the Bible says. But we take that risk, just like Mordecai did. And just as Mordecai decided to put himself at risk because to save a life was worth it. And that's our view too. To save a life is worth it. That was a view of Jim Elliott down in, uh, with the Aka Indians in the 1950s in, in uh, Ecuador when he said, if they kill me, they send me to heaven because they had guns and the issue came up. If they attack, should we shoot and kill the Indians, the, the lost Indians? And he said, if they kill me, they send me to heaven. If I kill them, I send them to hell. So he had this view, and he realized it's, to save a life is worth it. It's worth it. And just as Mordecai gave it all he had, put himself at risk to save a life, you and I give it all we got to save lives from hell. And Mordecai, he refused to walk away. He said, that's not acceptable. Mordecai says, I'll hear nothing of it. I will not justify a refusal. I will say no. And just as Mordecai said, I will say no. So we say no. Why should I get involved in someone else's business? Someone, why should I get involved? Why don't I mind my own business? Mordecai said no. We say no. As Mordecai said no, someone else will save the king. We say someone else will save that person. No. We say no. He says, just as Mordecai said, whatever's going to happen has already been predestinated. That that sinner goes to hell, he's been predestinated to go to hell. It's already been predetermined. I can't change God in his sovereign will. He's already predestined who's going to be saved and who's going to be. We say no to that. That's not true. Just as Mordecai said to himself, it's me. I've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this to save this man. I can't sit still. And so when we encounter a lost sinner, we say, it's me. And God has a spotlight on me. And God has called me into this person's life for such a time as this now. And so we say the same thing. And we say, I'll step forward. I cannot sit still. Just as Mordecai said, I'm a man of life and I stand for life. So you and I are people of life. That's what the gospel is all about. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We cannot stand by and watch people go to hell. Because Mordecai acted, a life was saved. And if you and I act on the gospel, very likely a life or lives will be saved. And just as it was recorded in Esther 2.23, that Mordecai saved the life of the king, it's going to be recorded, recorded for each one of us as well. That's what God's going to do. You know, it was in 1987, the first time I went to Israel, and we went to Yad Vashem, the memorial to the Jewish people who died in the Holocaust. Very moving. But I was really surprised because I was expecting to see everything Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. Well, that's the way the whole country is. But I mean, you know, this particular place, especially with the Holocaust. 
But the first thing you see as you come to this memorial to the Holocaust is you walk down what's called the Avenue of the Righteous, and you walk through a place called the Garden of the Righteous, and it's just a series of plaques and statues and names, and nobody's Jewish on those names and those plaques. And they're called the righteous among the nations. That's the term for Gentiles, the nations. The righteous among the nations. And these are the, these are the names and the plaques in there, they record in the garden on the avenue, of the people, the Gentiles, who saved Jewish people during the time of the Holocaust. And they each have a unique story, and some of them you're familiar with, like Oscar and Emil Schindler, you know, from Schindler's List, who saved Jews by paying for them to work at his factory during the Holocaust. Many harbored Jews secretly to save them. That was like Corey Ten Boone, the whole Ten Boone family for that matter. Holland helped many, many Jewish people escape the camps. People like Wallenberg and Sugihara, who used their government positions to issue uh, passports and visas. Say, so, oh, that person's, Jewish, that person's uh, Swedish. <laughs> and saved many, many thousands of Jews in that ways. Many of those people died doing that. And people like Wallenberg just disappeared for taking the risk. They took the risk. And God only knows how many Jewish people were actually saved. The list is about 23,000 names of Gentiles that have done this. And there's, if you go to the Yad Vashem website, they have a place where you can actually, if you were a survivor during that time, you can tell them, and then they'll decide whether or not to include them. But one thing was common to all of those people, all those 23,000 Gentiles that saved Jewish people. They knew that Jewish people were being killed. They risked their lives. Let me put it this way. They decided to risk their life to save Jewish people. And for the most part, because they acted, many Jewish people were saved from death. And like those righteous among the nations, who they all knew that the Jewish people were being killed. Like them, we all know that lost people are going to hell. We know there's an eternal concentration camp. We know there's an eternal Auschwitz. And like those righteous among the nations, they all said it was not acceptable to do nothing. And they gave it all they had to save the Jewish people. We today say it's not acceptable for us to do nothing. It's not acceptable for us to come to church and be in a very comfortable environment where we're not threatened and we're among our Christian friends. And meanwhile, to watch other of our friends or acquaintances or people we don't even know just going into the death camps, eternal death camps. It's not acceptable. And we will give it all we got to save lost sinners from hell. And so like there is today an avenue of the righteous in Israel and a garden of the righteous where their names are memorialized on those plaques, you can be sure that God in heaven has an avenue of the righteous. And God in heaven has a garden of the righteous where the names of the people who gave themselves to save the lost are recorded. You can be sure of that. And what do we want in our lives? We want to be among those names. We want to be on the avenue of the righteous in heaven. We want to be in the garden of the righteous in heaven. We want God to be able to say to us, I entrusted you with the information through the Bible, which you believed and you knew it was true, that the lost are going to hell, and I put you in contact with them, and I've given you opportunities, and that was a trust. And I want you, what did Paul say? If by some means I might save some. That's what Paul said. If by some, I became all things to all men, that I might save some. See, that was the view that Paul had. And that needs to be our view as well. And so as we look at this and we consider Mordecai as our great example of what he did in not sitting still, 
But in saving the life of Ahasuerus, that's a challenge for us. That's an encouragement for us. That's God speaking to us, saying, be like Mordecai. Be like Mordecai and save a person from death. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You're the God of life. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You're the God who will have all men to be saved. And Lord, you so much proved it that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son so that whosoever, wheresoever, at whatever time anyone believeth in him, that person should not perish but have everlasting life. Stir us up, Lord. Stir us up to be faithful to you and to be able to one day stand before you and say, I was responsible with the information you gave us and the opportunities you gave us to try to save some, as Paul said, in Jesus' name. Tom, you mentioned in today's teaching how God wants to lead us to repentance. What is the importance of the Hebrew word repentance, especially from the Jewish perspective in the Old Testament? Right. And it's very important to understand what the word is meaning to say in Hebrew when you're talking about repentance, because repentance is really to go back, to do it different, to change the direction that you were heading in. And so it's described for us very nicely in Hosea chapter 7, verse 10, where it speaks about the reason why Israel doesn't go back, and it talks about what they don't do when they should be repenting. And it says it like this, and the pride of Israel testifieth to his face. That's the reason why they don't repent. You know, if there's one disease that you can say, everybody in hell today has one disease, it's P-R-I-D-E, pride. And this is what he means when he says, the pride of Israel testifieth to his face. And here's the effect of pride. And they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. In other words, what's happening here is God is saying they need to repent. They need to, they walked away from God. So that means they're, they're facing away from God. They need to make an about face and point toward God and return to the Lord. That's repentance right there. And to seek him. In other words, they stopped seeking him. And so now they need to turn around and seek him. You know, you think, what's the epitome of that all? It's like this. Who is the one that they walked away from? Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the one that's the farthest concept for them seeking with all their heart? The Lord Jesus Christ. What is repentance? About face and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ about face, and to pray to the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek him. That's repentance. See, this is what Isaiah meant when he said in Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, what he's saying here is that the wicked has a way in which he thinks and way in which he goes. The unrighteous have thoughts that are dishonoring to God. So God says, let him forsake that way. Let him forsake those thoughts and let him return to God. 
And then he says, you don't have to worry from God's side because here's a promise. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, he will abundantly pardon because that's who God is. So God is holding out this. He's he's inviting man, turn back turn back. I'm not going to slap you down. I'm not going to say, well, now I got to hold you. you wait till I'm finished with you. That's not God. God loves to show mercy. He loves to show pardon. So therefore he encourages them, return, turn back, go back to him. Thank you for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Tom Cantor has written a popular and powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. This book will show the scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. This amazing study reveals how Jesus of Nazareth was not only a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. It's a must-have for any Christian or a great gift to give to any Jewish person, especially at Christmas time, who may be searching for the truth and evidence of the Scriptures and who the Messiah really is. This is also a great witnessing tool for atheists because there's approximately 2,500 prophecies that appear in the pages of the Bible. About 2,000 have already been fulfilled, with only 500 future prophecies remaining. But many of the past prophecies have been written by different men at different times and preserved by God in Scripture today, showing it's a statistical improbability that it could be anyone else than the Lord Jesus Christ as God, becoming man, born of a virgin, being of the seed of Abraham and David, who would be betrayed and suffer and die for the sins of the world. All these scriptures and prophecy fulfillments are shown side by side in an easy format for you to read and a great gift to give to someone else at Christmas time or even for yourself. If you'd like this great Bible study tool, it's yours today for a donation of $20 or more. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Again, a donation of $20 or more. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Get the prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, just a donation of $20 or more. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.